All right. So for those of you who are here for the first time today, I just want you to know that we are in the process of um, beginning a search for a new senior minister. But in the meantime, we have wonderful people who have stepped up to guest speak for us on Sundays. Um, and so this morning, we have Reverend Robert Collins, who will actually be with us every second Sunday. Um, he currently serves as a minister at large residing in Northern California. He works with a wide range of clients as a spiritual coach and is welcoming new clients. He served as the assistant minister for the East Bay Church of Religious Science in Oakland and as the Central Valley Northern California Regional Support Coordinator for the Centers for Spiritual Living. This is how we met him and when he, when he supported us here through our transition of change of ministers um, a number of years ago. So um, he has been a great support to us. I want you to know that I know him as someone who lives this teaching every day. And I am honored that he has agreed to support us now. Reverend Robert Collins. Thank you. Wow, with that applause, I can go home. <laughs> Amber. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the beautiful music this morning and for the selection before my talk. Start off on a little light side this morning and get to the right page. <laughs> what did I do with my page one? Oh, here it is. You know, the danger of giving a minister a script and expecting them to follow it is, is a high and lofty expectation. So, <laughs> but again, I want to start off with something light this morning. Um, you may have heard this story. <clears throat> There's a monastery that had very, very strict rules. And one of those rules was a vow of silence. And there was an exception to this rule in that the monks could speak two words every 10 years. Two words every 10 years. So at the end of his first anniversary, uh, the young monk is summoned to come in and meet with the head monk. And the head monk says to him, it has been 10 years, what are the two words you would like to speak? And his response was, bed hard. And the head monk said, I see. And so 10 years later, the monk returns to the head monk's office. And the head monk says to him, it has now been 10 more years. What two words would you like to speak? And his response is, food stinks. <laughs> I see, replied the monk. So yet another 10 years go by. And he goes in to meet with the head monk. And the head monk says, what two words would you like to speak now after these 10 years? I quit, said the monk. <laughs> well, I can see, replied the head monk, because all you've ever done is complain while you've been here. <laughs> 
Now, we know those people, you know, they may be our cousins or our nephews or our aunties, you know. doesn't apply to me at all. <laughs> Today, in keeping with our theme for the month of October, which is unity, I want to share with you some of my thoughts on oneness and support these with some quotes by our founder, Ernest Holmes, and some other writers that I find to be inspiring. And one of my inspirations is an author by the name of Mark Nepo, and I'll be sharing from, from one of his books. You know, I'm feeling called this morning to acknowledge what is up in the world of effect. You know, sometimes we operate in the spiritual bubble and we don't pay attention to the news, which I don't on a regular basis. I don't make a regular diet of it. And we sometimes can find ourselves going along with blinders and just in this little bubble and not really aware of what is going on around us. But there comes a point where we need to pause and just be aware of the broader universe outside of our spiritual bubble, which is also included inside of the spiritual bubble because there is no separation. The media has us focusing on divisiveness, on telling people to go back to their country of origin, on separating families, on police brutality, Inequities of all sorts are being played out in life, along with those things that are highlighted as quote-unquote evils in the world. And this call, this, this, this awakening within me, led me to this book that I recently picked up by Mark Nepo. And the title of it is More Together Than Alone. And it is part of a companion book, and I'm not remembering the name of it now, that he has written about being in community. And if you're familiar with any of Mark Nepo's work, um, a, a lot of his work is poetry, uh, and some is more, um, more, more of a, gu a spiritual guide, I would say. Um, and so I want to share with you what he talks about um, in this chapter called Putting Down the Brick. This really resonated with me. There are two brief stories. You may be familiar with these stories. Um, the first, and, and I'll begin with, with a statement from him. Compassion has always been the key to whether we understand each other or not. Like so many things, this is old medicine carried around in timeless pouches we call stories. And so the first story he shares says, in the beginning, everyone spoke the same language. Thousands of years ago, the early human family still was one tribe. They devoted themselves to building a single tower that would be taller than any other structure ever built. And their hope in creating this tower was that it would become a visible landmark 
so that anyone who felt lost could find their way back home. And so the entire tribe was behind this purpose. However, it took much longer than they had anticipated. And by the time the third generation comes along to assume the task, the tower still being incomplete. And it was so high at this point that it took a worker almost an entire year just to take one brick up. This was before computers and the technology that we are aware of now. And of course, the grandchildren of the original builders no longer had the same devotion to the job or the task at hand. And they began to grumble because this chore was chosen for them. It was not their own choosing. And so without their devotion, it wasn't long before they became disenchanted with the task. And finally, one day, a worker carrying the next brick fell. And they mourned the brick over the worker. Of course, the broken landmark was the Tower of Babel. And shortly after the brick carrier died, the now heartless workers, pressed to finish someone else's dream, decided to loot heaven, upon which God confounded and confused their tongues. They instantly lost the ability to understand each other, and the tower was never finished. And the human family, no longer able to speak one another, dispersed across the earth. Now, in spiritual teaching, in ancient wisdom, in all of our traditions, we learn that there is an antidote to every story. And so the antidote is this. It seems that generations after Babel, a mysterious spirit came to earth, powerful in his gentleness and acceptance of human frailty. He was where some, he, his ways were somehow threatening to the conquerors of the time, and he was killed. But he touched many lives during this short time on earth. One of his closest followers felt compelled to keep his master's ways alive. But like the others, he was brokenhearted by his master's death. Confused and torn apart, he wandered for days. Then Peter was stunned to meet Jesus again. He had come back to life. What this did to Peter was inexplainable. Not long afterwards, Peter found himself before a crowd of Jews assembled from all over the world. They spoke more than a dozen languages, and there were no translators. But Peter could not be distracted by their differences and devoted himself to telling the profound experiences that he had shaped his life and that had awakened him. Miraculously, as he spoke, humbly 
and directly from his heart. Everyone assembled understood him in their own language. They had, in fact, been touched by and returned to the one original language that all beings share. Your opening statement that we read together, your mission or vision statement, your purpose statement, really embodies what these two stories are. And it embodies what we're talking about this morning, and that is unity and oneness. And so this leads into a question. We may ask, what is oneness? We talk about it, but what is it really? I like this quote from Ernest Holmes. He says, if we think of ourselves as being separated from the universe, we shall be limited by this thought. For it is a belief in separation from God which binds and limits. So it is the belief that we are separated from God that binds us and limits us in very narrow and focused ways that are more self-serving than embracing and recognizing the unity and the oneness. True experiences of oneness involves recognizing and allowing meaningful, loving connections with our broader self. This includes being connected with all aspects of creation, such as all people, elements of nature, places, food, music, art, activities, inanimate objects, and much, much more. And I'm sure you can come up with your own list of things that connect us. These connections are naturally here, but sometimes we fail to recognize them or even reject them. When we truly love anyone or anything, we are acknowledging our oneness with it. And at an emotional level, can feel profoundly blissful and euphoric. I know I experience these feelings when I am with my family and with my two grand dogs. <laughs> I was with one of the grand dogs yesterday and I was sharing before our service began. I am blessed to have six great grandchildren. And when all six are together at one time, I am truly in heaven because I don't often, because it's a family has, has grown and has, has moved away and established their own patterns in their own friendships, and the kids are now starting to have their activities, it's rare for me to be there when all six are together. So we had a family event uh, Saturday a week ago, and three of the great-grands were there. So I was in, in seventh heaven. Yesterday, we had another little family gathering, and three different great-grands were there. So I was in seventh heaven with them. And so these are the things that bring me joy and also remind me of the oneness of all life because I look at these little ones and I look at their distinct personalities and yet they're all one. You know, we, we started out from the one body and we're still a part of the one body. Maybe for you, it's a stroll along the bay or a hike or a walk in the woods viewing a creative art experience, whatever it is that on an emotional level 
brings you this feeling of bliss and euphoria. This is an example of what oneness is. Amit Ray offers this quote, There is only one all-prevailing God. It only has one message. Love all, encompass all, and transcend the limits of the selfish game. Experiencing oneness involves employing wisdom to see beyond the limits of separation. We're casting our vision beyond these artificial barriers that have been imposed on us by this world of effect that we live in, this human experience, if you will. I'm going to offer some affirmations, and, and this is going to be a participatory part. You know, Amber set the stage by inviting us to engage in song, and I'm going to invite us to engage in affirmations. So I will say the affirmation, then I will ask you to repeat it. And so the first one is, I am one with the creative energy, That is in charge of everything. I see myself in everything and everyone. I transcend the limits of the personal ego. I seek all answers and all change from within. I am connected to the mind and personal consciousness and the energy of the collective consciousness. I realize I am eternal and transcend space and time. Every person and everything is an extension of consciousness. You know, that's one of our familiar buzzwords in, in New Thought teachings. You know, it's all about consciousness. And I remember when I was going through ministerial school, um, one, of my, one of our instructors was um, Dr. Amit Goswami. Uh, you may be familiar with him from the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know?, uh, he is a very powerful um, writer and teacher in the field of quantum physics. And one of the things that some of the upperclassmen would share with us as we were preparing for our assessment papers or for our exams is, if you want to get Dr. Goswami's attention, include throughout your paper and your assessment these words, consciousness is the ground of all being. Make sure you include these. Consciousness is the ground of all being. <laughs> Guaranteed an A. <laughs> and I think I did get an A out of most, I think I took three classes from him. Um, so this, this idea of consciousness, this idea of this oneness is reflected in this other teaching that we have, this other training that we go through in a recognition, if you will, is that 
We have manifested every person and everything as an extension of our consciousness. And just as I have manifested those things in my life, and trust me, that's a bitter pill to swallow at times, when I have to step back and say, I did this, I did this, what was I thinking about when I did this? And yet, what I've learned is that when I take responsibility for my own life, for my own actions, for my own behavior, then it's easier to let me off the hook, and it's easier to let others off the hook. And so just as I have manifested everything into my life as a result of my consciousness, each one of us, through our collective consciousness, has done the same thing. On a higher spiritual level, we strive for individuality. Then later, long to reconnect with ourselves. And this can become a never-ending circle. And I remember again in one of my uh, classes in ministerial school, um, the instructor said, if you look at the history of new thought, people in new thought, come together because they resist structure and organization as is known in the human, more in the human realm. So we come together as this collective band of rebels, if you will. And we go along and we go along and we go along. And at some point we recognize that in order for us to continue on this cohesive path, we have to bring some structure and organization into the environment that we have created. Then we put the structures and the organization in place and we recognize this is not what I want. And so we leave and start all over again. So it becomes this, this repetitive cycle that we find ourselves in. And I think that's the beauty of life. Our self-realization is recognizing that we are one with source as well as the entire tree of the collective consciousness. In our Science of Mind textbook on page 261, paragraph 4, Ernest Holmes, I just extracted this one sentence from that whole text. My whole inner being is conscious of its unity with God, of its oneness with spirit. My whole inner being is conscious of its unity with God and of its oneness with spirit. Nikola Tesla offers this idea. Every living being is an engine geared to the wheelwork of the universe. Though seemingly affected only by its immediate surroundings, the sphere of external influence extends to infinite distance. I was with... Um, my personal trainer yesterday, and he was sharing with me um, something that he had picked up in his yoga class, and it was about this interconnection. It was about oneness. And the yoga teacher was describing things that, in terms of a yoga practice, in terms of how the body moves and flows and how we stretch the muscles and the tissues, that in the, in the area of physiology, Everything is interconnected. Everything is related. And by moving one set of muscles around, it 
creates an impact on another set of muscles and it either loosens them up or strengthens them, whichever is required for that particular activity. And then expanding this outside of just our individual body, how we're all interconnected with each other. And you've heard stories about or may have had the experience of walking into a room and feeling the energy shift when you walk into the room. And it can be a positive shift or it can be a negative shift depending on where I may be. At least that's been my experience. When I walk into a room, you know, I, wa I walk into the center. I walk into the center and I'm greeted with love. And even though it's, it's empty, you know, maybe one or two people in here, but the energy of love that is in this place is just so palatable that I feel it every time I walk in. There have been other centers that I have walked in where there is a lot of discord that is happening within that center. And I can feel it as soon as I walk in. So the energy that we project or the energy that we walk into is the result of our consciousness and also the collective consciousness. So what can we do to bring about this shift that we wish to see in the world, as Gandhi says, be the change that you wish to see in the world. How do we remind ourselves that I am one with God? And just as I am one with God, every being, every animate and inanimate, inanimate object is one with God. And so again, some affirmations for you to consider. I love myself, my personal consciousness, unconditionally. I love my broader self, other people, unconditionally. I love the non-human aspects of creation, unconditionally. I identify and transcend all negative feelings of hate, indifference, anger, Dislike, embarrassment of any emotion that feels unpleasant. And again, from our Science of Mind textbook on pages 127 and 128. And this is, this is condensed. <laughs> so I'm not reading the whole two pages. This is very, very condensed. But Dr. Holmes says, When we know our oneness with God and law, what a great burden is removed. Any sense of opposition is removed from the consciousness which perceives unity. That which we call our subjective mind is but a point in universal mind where our personality maintains this individualized expression of spirit. And remember, each one of us is an individualized expression of spirit. Holmes goes on to write, if we think of ourselves as being separated from the universe, we shall be limited by this thought. Everything comes from intelligence. There is nothing but unity. There is nothing but freedom. There is nothing but completeness. There is nothing but totality. We are complex multidimensional beings 
And loving ourselves, loving myself, requires accepting and loving those seemingly separate parts of me and those seemingly separate parts of everyone else. And I'd like to close with another reading. It's from this book by James O'Donohue. The title is Bless the Space Between Us. And the blessing that I have selected is titled For Love in a Time of Conflict. And he writes, when the gentleness between us hardens and you fall out of your belonging with each other, may the depths you have reached hold you still. When no true word can be used or heard and you mirror each other in the script of hurt, when even the silence has become raw and torn, may you hear again an echo of your first music. When the weave of affection starts to unravel and anger begins to swear the ground between, to sear the ground between you, before the weather of grief invites the black seed of bitterness to find root, may your souls come to kiss. Now is the time for one of you to be gracious, to allow a kindness beyond thought and hurt. Reach out with sure hands. Take the chalice of your love and carry it carefully through the echoless waste until the winter pilgrimage leans you toward the gateway of spring. I remember just a little personal experience here. I was engaged in conflict with a peer minister, peer practitioner, and it started over who knows what. And I was in a coaching session with another minister who was aware of what was taking place. And the word that was offered to me was, all it takes is one of you to drop the fight. So I asked this morning, where am I willing to drop the fight. And I invite you to ask the same question. Where am I willing to drop the fight remembering that we're all connected in unity and oneness? Rumi says this, even when tied in a thousand knots, the string is still but one. Thank you.